0: Welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and you can find us, as always, on social media at Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That is Facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can also search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram and we'll pop up, and you can search at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter, and we will be there. You can also email us at MediumCoolPod at gmail.com. And also, it's really helpful whenever you subscribe to our podcast, and even if you feel so inclined to rate it and give us ratings, these are things that help content creators, and in this case, we are the content creators. Thank you so much. Today, we have a fun show, I think. Uh, It's going to be a good time. I'm going to be started kicking things off with uh, my early Bergman Marathon. So two weeks ago, I did his very first film from 1946, 75 years ago. This guy made his first movie. Now, he's been dead since 2003, but the point is, a long time ago, 75-year-old movie, I thought it was pretty decent for a first outing, for someone who becomes one of the superpowers in European cinema. Uh, It's not a bad movie. You know, it's not a great movie, but it wasn't a bad movie. That was Crisis from 1946. And today we're going to be talking about Ingmar Bergman's fifth film, Port of Call, from 1948, and then his seventh film. Thirst from 1949. Now, he made seven films between 1946 and 1949, so this homie was busy, okay? Um, But yeah, we're going to be talking about his fifth and seventh, that's Port of Call and Thirst. Uh, It'd be pretty interesting to be a little short, little snippet thing that I'm going to do on those, because there's honestly... uh, Just not enough time in these episodes for me to do a long, deep dive into these, and quite frankly, I don't think the films really earn it that much, but they are worth kind of talking about real quick, especially when you're dealing with Bergman. Now, after Bergman, we're going to be celebrating the famous filmmaker, the uh, the former husband to French New Wave filmmaker Agnès Varda. This is the fringe French New Wave filmmaker Jacques Demy, the guy that did uh, some pretty cool hip classics like Lola and Bay of Pigs, but he also did uh, some musicals like the uh, the young the young girls of Rockford I believe or, or I believe that's how it's pronounced but it could be uh, I don't know it looks like Rochfort, but I think it's Rockford anyways the young girl of Rockford and uh, and the film that we're going to be talking about today which is the umbrellas of Cherbourg and um, man it was I, w- I was I had no idea what Joe was gonna think about this. I even thought about having someone else on with Joe and I because I didn't know how Joe was gonna talk about this. And we had a great conversation about it. I hope you guys enjoy uh, Joe and I talking about that. But for the sake of brevity here, I'm going to cut this short and uh, we're gonna go ahead and get right into the early Bergman Marathon where I am going to start with Port of Call from 1948. All right, today we're going to talk about Bergman's fifth film, Port of Call, from 1948, written and directed by Ingmar Bergman, based on a novel by Ole Landsberg. Hopefully I said that correctly. And the release date was October 11th, 1948. It follows Berit, a suicidal factory girl out of reformatory school. Reformatory schools were basically uh, like juvenile halls ran by nuns, essentially. And, uh, you know, she's... Anxious to escape her overbearing mother and falls in love with a sailor, Gosta, who struggles to forgive her past. The plot and the character development uh, center on the relationship between Berit and Gosta, as she discloses her troubled past, the family problems, and various affairs. She, you know, she exposes these to him, and he must deal with his own feelings and conflicts about the disclosure. And that's about it. That pretty much sums up the film. We watch these people deal with their feelings, and I honestly thought it was pretty decent. Not even close to the masterpieces Bergman will, you know, later produce. But despite its shortcomings, it does some really interesting things. For example, Berit is actually a much deeper character than people might give her credit. She has a mother that doesn't listen to her pain, the pain she's in, and Berit is really suffering here. She attempts suicide at the very beginning of the film, and her mother just shrugs off these things like, you know, she's just being a teenager, you know, teenagers being teenagers. Barit clearly has a lot of trauma in her past, living through several traumatic affairs and, uh, you know, the reformatory schools where she struggled. She grew up, you know, with her parents fighting aggressively all the time, a mother that's neglectful and spiteful, and she's constantly bullied. And because of her choices in life, many of which she seems to regret. And she's constantly fearing abandonment and betrayal from those she gets even remotely close to. She cannot believe someone would accept such a person as her. So this is a character that feels very real feelings that I think a lot of people, you know, even to this day could relate to. You know, either by having lived similar experiences or knowing people who have. And this film tackles some serious issues, such as playing with the question of how strong is love and addressing abortion, classism. You know, it really deals with a lot of the blue-collar workers. You know, there's definitely a neorealist vibe to this. And, uh, you know, it, it really just kind of covers the gamut with a lot of 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 the kind of neorealist kind of aspects, but also dealing with relationships and also failed relationships whenever you deal with uh, Barit's, um, you know, prior affairs but also the effects of growing up with a family that is kind of a conservative religious, you know, household. Now, it's no secret that Bergman was, you know, grew up with a father who was a clergyman and, you know, probably has some really strong feelings about religion. So I think we kind of get a little bit of that here. But though this is not a great film, I appreciate Ingmar Bergman's attempt here with Port of Call. Furthermore, there's also, you know, a black American actor with a speaking role that is not a servant. (laughs) You know, in America at the time, that wasn't something we saw a lot of. And, you know, there's a scene with nudity, which is also very strange as an American who in this era, you know, America censored anything and everything close to that for nearly two more decades. So it's pretty crazy what they got away with in Sweden. The camera work and overall vision is a billion times better than *Crisis*. Gunnar, I think it's Gunnar Fisher. I hope it's not Fischer. Gunnar Fisher is on uh, on board as cinematographer, and *Port of Call* is the start of his tenure with Bergman, as he would continue working with uh, with him consistently for the next twelve years. And uh, though Gunnar Fisher's You know, cinematography is going to get a billion times better. As much as this is better than Crisis, it's going to be vastly more than that by the time we get to uh, Smiles of a Summer Night and, uh, you know, Wild Strawberries and The Seventh Seal. I mean, he did all of these movies with Bergman. Uh, But this is the first one, which is a really cool thing. And honestly, there are some really cool things that uh, Bergman and Gunner pull off here visually. So when you see the film, I think you'll get what I'm talking about here. Port of Call is a fairly run-of-the-mill melodrama. I wouldn't call it particularly special with the exception of you know the few things I mentioned before, like for example, abortion and classism, the way it deals with it. I mean you know, not to mention the nudity or or any any of the very variety of other things that could be controversial in during the year of 1948. I mean talking about abortion in anywhere in 1948 would have been uh, really you know, cutting edge, you know, so in those ways, it's not run of the mill, but, but nonetheless, it continues to further show Bergman growing as a bold filmmaker with a unique voice and vision here. He is a flower slowly beginning to blossom, but before long, he will be in full bloom. I gave port of call a three out of five. And I hope that you'll go check it out. I watched this on the Criterion channel. I watched it in two parts, unfortunately, because I got way, I was up way too late and I had to watch it in two parts. So I saw half of it on the Criterion channel and half of it uh, from the Criterion box set Ingmar Bergman Cinema, which you can find pretty much everywhere. Uh, Barnes and Noble, Amazon—you can buy it on Criterion. I mean, there's anywhere who sells Criterion's, you're going to find this box set. It is expensive, so I would encourage you to wait until a 50% off sale if you need to save the money, or unless you're wild like me and maybe you have a birthday coming up and you're going to buy yourself a gift, like I did. Uh, definitely go buy it. It's like $250 or something. It's like it's pretty expensive, but has 30 discs, tons of Bergman movies, including all of these early special films. So. Port of Call, again, three out of five, 1948, early Bergman. I hope you enjoyed my talk, and if you've seen it and you disagree or you agree, whichever, hit us up on social media. You can find me on Letterboxd under Austin Glidden, uh, and you can also find me at Austin Glidden on Twitter. You can hit me up directly or anywhere where you find Medium Cool Pod. Up next, the third film in our early Bergman marathon, 1949's Thirst. Moving on, we're going to be talking about Ingmar Bergman's seventh film and the number three film in our early Bergman marathon, Thirst, from 1949. It's directed by Ingmar Bergman, but not written by. It was actually written by Herbert Gravinius. I hope I said that correctly. I'm probably butchering it and actually bet money on it. Anyways, Herbert Gravinius. And, you know, it stars all people that are not a part of Bergman's later troupe of actors that he worked with all the time, uh, both on stage and on screen. Um, but uh, one notable person is Binkt Eklund, who was also in Port of Call. He played the the um, the husband to Berit, who had to listen to her past and decide how he felt about it. Uh, that actor was played by Binkt Eklund. Eklund so he's in this as well plays a very different character and this film was released October 17th 1949 and thirst tackles several issues that port of call did but in my opinion this film feels like a much bigger mess the film follows a needy couple in a crumbling marriage who travel back to Stockholm after a trip to Italy much like port of call this is about the couple arguing over their feelings but also not listening to one another and sometimes dreaming of the worst outcomes. Ruth is a pretty eccentric lush, <laughs> um, I think it's safe to say, she's loud, obnoxious, and kind of terrible to her husband, Bertil, who is less so, like less awful, but also kind of terrible to Ruth, and, and really seems like the only reason he stays with her is because it's better than being independent and alone. Their marriage is largely unhappy due to the Ruth's changing moods and heavy drinking, but I'm sure the fact that they discuss their affairs openly contributes to their fleeting connection. As I mentioned before, it tackles some of the you know interesting topics that Port of Call did, and even some others like you know disintegrating marriages, abortion again, lesbianism, which would have been very controversial at the time as well, suicide again, and uh, the crippling circumstances of post-war Europe. All of those things are you know pretty can be very powerful uh, areas to to explore in cinema. But unfortunately, Thirst is convoluted and lacks the focus necessary to tell such a story and to effectively deal with such topics. Some of those subjects are are tackled in a secondary story that ultimately seems pointless to me. Uh, Viola is a widow who spends most of the film resisting seductions from two different people, her psychiatrist and a lesbian friend. This entire part of the story felt disjointed, irrelevant, and honestly kind of cruel. Viola is clearly hurting and dealing with some mental health issues, but no one seems to take her seriously enough and look past their own feelings toward her to truly help. Thirst is the second Bergman outing with Gunnar Fischer as the cinematographer. Unfortunately, this time around, with the exception of a few exquisitely photographed scenes... It's fairly lackluster in my view. I feel like Port of Call was just as good, if not better, in many ways. And it's passable, but ultimately I'm pretty neutral on it. Gunnar Fischer does have one great scene in this film, though, where two of the characters are talking to one another, and the camera's doing a close-up on both of them. But it's so close, sometimes characters almost go out of focus. But it's just kind of slightly doing these circular movements, not full revolutions around them, but just these slight movements, just during the conversation, just to give kind of uh, not point of views, but um, you know, to focus on the female when she's speaking, that kind of comes around talk and you know focuses on the guy. But it, they're both in frame all the time. Really beautiful those moments, and there are a couple, but and that's one of them. But there are some really beautiful moments that Gunnar Fischer was able to capture uh, with his lens. But the story becomes so melodramatic at times that I found myself getting bored. And this is not something so far with with the Bergman films that I've felt. And a lot of people get bored watching Bergman. I'm not usually one of them. I find him very captivating. But this film, actually, I I got bored at times. Whereas other moments, though, I found it relatively captivating. Uh, I said that weird. Captivating. That's the word. This could in part be because this is the first Bergman film not written by the director, but rather Herbert Gr- Gravinius. I think I said that correctly. Herbert Gravinius. And it seems you know, to lack a certain something that I've been enjoying in the other early Bergman pictures. And that may be part of the reason, You know, uh, though time will tell as I explore more, I'm to be honest I am not well versed enough in Bergman yet to know if him writing something is going to make it that much better because we know there are a lot of great filmmakers that uh, when they write the stuff it's even worse George Lucas anyways so you know a lot of times uh, it is better when you have other writers who are professionals but in this case coincidentally I guess I've I've really been enjoying the Bergman written and directed stuff so sorry Herbert but I'm not that into you I didn't hate thirst by any means mostly just you know very neutral on the movie it was a very neutral experience it was my least favorite of the early Bergman pre smiles of a summer night you know those films that I've seen so far though admittedly that's not too many yet so we'll get there This rehashed a lot of the themes, as I said before, uh, you know, and not as well as it had before, uh, or quite frankly, as it will later and later films that I've seen. um, But, you know, the writing wasn't as interesting, but it could be because Bergman didn't write it himself and I've grown to enjoy his writing. Also, I expected more from cinematographer Gunnar Fischer, and I understand that these are early works with them, and maybe they haven't, uh, you know, found that special spot yet. But I still feel like Port of Call had more interesting things going on than even this one, and that came out two films prior to, you know, uh, to this one. You know, it was Thirst, and then Port of Call was two films back. So I don't know, uh, but again, we will see. I know that they will do incredible work. Uh, because they worked consistently with each other up until about 1960, photographing classics like Smiles of a Summer Night, The Seventh Seal, and Wild Strawberries. But here with thirst, I found it underwhelming. I will say one thing, though. There is a really cool scene, pretty much the opening sequence, uh, where the there is a couple running through. In my mind, it's a grotto, but I don't think that is what it is. It's like this kind of wooded hill area. And they're running up it, and and the young lady says, aren't there snakes out here? And the guy's like, well, yeah, of course, duh. You know, he's kind of being a dick. And then she's like, oh, I want to go back to the boat. And he's like, there's snakes in the water too. And she's like really freaked out. And then he finds a snake, and he gets it. And this is a real snake, okay? And he grabs this snake, and he's holding it by its tail. It's just like a little, it's not very big. Probably a gardener a garden snake or whatever. I don't know snakes. The point is, it, was, it wasn't huge. And he takes it over to this anthill, and he just drops it on the anthill, and then it cuts to the snake, and it shows him drop, and then it cuts back to the couple, and then it shows the snake again, and it's just covered in ants. Not completely where you can't see the snake, but it's very clear there are ants all over this thing. And I feel bad for the snake. It's the first time in my life I've ever felt bad for a snake, I think. Um, man, it, it's kind of an intense visual, and I actually really loved it, because it reminds me, uh, I mean, it is like way ahead of its time in terms of really disturbing imagery that I think of in like the 70s, 80s, and 90s, even to today, um, but it's just a very, very short thing that almost reminded me of something like Lars von Trier's Antichrist, like there's some incredibly disturbing imagery in that. Now, of course, this is not quite as graphic. This is not quite as intense. Um, But these few seconds where this is on the scene, I just kept thinking, man, did they like wash that snake off or something afterwards? Because I can't imagine them just like murdering this thing with ants. But, anyways, it was a really wild scene. Um,. Overall, like I said, Thirst was not great. I gave it a two and a half out of five because it wasn't worthless by any means. It just was not really my cup of tea overall. I was very neutral on it. Didn't dislike it, but I also didn't really like it. Two and a half out of five. And uh, that is Bergman's Thirst from 1949. If you've seen it and agree or disagree, as I said before with Port of Call, please hit me up or hit us up at Medium Cool Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hit me up on Twitter at Austin Glidden, or you can find me on Letterboxd as well to keep track of my diary of movies as I watch and rate things and give little blurbs about them. Uh, you know, you can find me Austin Glidden on Letterboxd.com. Stay tuned. Where I'm going to be talking to Joe here soon about Jacques Demise, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, as we celebrate posthumously the great Jacques Demy. Happy birthday to him. His birthday was June 5th, so that was last Saturday. And hopefully, we will do it justice as we discuss the Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Let's go. All right, Joe, we're here today to celebrate the, uh, posthumously celebrate the, well, not posthumous for us, we're still alive. It doesn't matter. The point is, um, Jacques Demy is not, but his birthday was on June 5th, 1931, which means that last Saturday was his 90th birthday. And unfortunately, he died October 27 1990. But we are going to celebrate his art today by discussing The Umbrellas of Cherbourg from 1964. Again, written and directed by Jacques Demy. Uh, notable to mention that the music was by Michel Legrand, who is... Mm-hmm. I mean... I don't think there's a moment where there's not music in this movie. I feel like he is another part of the cast. So Michel Legrand needs to be mentioned because it's great. Uh, Stars Catherine Deneuve, Nino Castelnuovo, and Anne Vernon. Came out February 19th, my birthday. Um, Granted, like, 21 years prior to my birth. But February 19th, (laughs) 1964. And it brought in $7.6 million, which I'm not surprised with a movie like this. uh, At that time, in that place... excuse me, Uh, I couldn't find a a budget anywhere, but it doesn't really matter. The simple romantic tragedy begins in 1957, where Guy, or Guy, as they say, a 20-year-old French auto mechanic has fallen in love with 17-year-old Genevieve, Genevieve, uh, an employee in her widowed mother's chic but financially embattled umbrella shop. On the evening before Guy is to leave for a two-year tour in combat or of combat in Algeria, he and Genevieve make love. She becomes pregnant and must choose between waiting for Guy's return or accepting an offer of marriage from a wealthy diamond merchant. Now, bear with me, Joe, because I have yeah. quite a bit to say here. The film is doing much more than this, though. Though that is the plot... The colors of the set decoration, costume design, and how they blend with the perfectly cast group of actors takes the stage front and center. Not only did The Umbrellas of Cherbourg help catapult Catherine Deneuve to stardom, but it also brought with it a lasting style all its own. In filming The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, director Jacques Demy opted to sacrifice print longevity for vibrant color. The film stock was uh, able to capture brilliant hues and vibrant colors, but degraded very quickly. By the mid-1970s, the only copies of the film to survive were unfortunately in terrible condition. But, Demi had a plan from the beginning. He had archived multiple monochromatic negatives that, when properly combined with each other, allowed recreation of the original color. And when the restoration was attempted, which led to what we watched for this discussion... Demi's widow, French New Wave filmmaker Agnes Varda, uh, supervised the remastering, and The Umbrellas of Cherbourg was recently brought back to life and is now available through streaming services and in physical form through the Criterion Collection. I watched it on the Criterion channel streaming service. I believe it's on HBO Max right now as well. Um, It's on YouTube. Yeah. It's on YouTube also. Yeah, for free, um, yeah. So for the last 60 years, though, Joe, because we're going to talk about the Umbrellas of Cherbourg, but I'm pretty sure by the end we're going to be talking kind of about musicals at large. Sure. And for the last 60 years, people have been trying to do something different with musicals. But how do you make musicals different, Joe? Who knows? Right. Bob Fosse did a good job in the 70s by trying to add reality and edge to Musicals like Cabaret and All That Jazz, as well as others. Lars von Trier in the year 2000 made something unique with Dancer in the Dark, which also has Catherine Deneuve uh, in a supporting role. And Tom Hooper even tried in 2012 with Les Miserables when he tried to have the actors sing live rather than lip lip sync to pre-recorded music. There are tons of examples, but none of these films that I've mentioned so far have reached the point of the umbrellas of Cherbourg in terms of how fresh it feels to me. There's something inextricably unique about Demi's work here, and I, I found it thrilling for that reason, and you know, even if I like some of the titles I mentioned earlier more, but part of what makes The Umbrellas of Cherbourg so unique is that everything, every bit of dialogue, everything is sung down to the most trivial and mundane lines. Yeah. How are you? I'm doing well. You? It's like that shit, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, it's 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 <laughs> it's something some folks will have to overcome, I think. I think for some people it could give them a hang-up. And I admit it was it was weird off and on for the first 20 minutes uh, or so of the film, which is it's only about 90 minutes or so long. Um but uh, it was until we got to the first brilliant moment between Guy and Genevieve when the musical motif that happens whenever they're on the screen together. This tragic motif brings forth an emotional flood.
1: More like hipster nightclubs don't just project it against a wall with the sound off as just wallpaper. It is the most lickable color, like the movie looks like it tastes good. The songs by Legrand, the beautiful colors, the beautiful sets, the fabrics, the wallpaper, all of this color and sweet sound is used to tell one of the, I wouldn't say dark, but uncompromisingly real. Love stories. Every single piece of dialogue is sung. Sung by the mailman. Bonjour Mademoiselle. Bonjour Madame. Sung by the mechanics in the garage. Le encore mais c'est normal. And the dialogue is not necessarily rhymed or musical. They're just singing it. Everyone looks at, like, the French new wave and then the new wave of Hollywood is they're trying to tear down the studio system. These people were celebrating the studio system. Demide was about, we are reprocessing American big studio product and adding weird personal twist to them. Je suis un maman also, in a weird way, he was hearkening back to a lot of the pre-code musicals, which did tell darker stories and mm. did have very, very difficult endings, and people were okay with that back then. And then also, I don't want to get into, like, the male gaze, or but God damn it, Catherine Deneuve is just... It's like otherworldly. It is, is science-fictionally beautiful. Vous êtes mon roi. Merci, Geneviève. Cette couronne. Especially when she's looking across the table and goes, you are my king. Yeah. And you're like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> it's one of those moments where a director got an actress, or I would even argue like Paul Newman in Cool Hand Luke. Mm-hmm. An actor is there and they are at this animal physical prime and it's been caught on film it doesn't happen all the time but when it does just appreciate the cosmic luck that that happened it would not be illogical if that movie came out and then she did a bunch of horrible movies after because no one knew what to do with her i could see her derailing a film, because you're like, she's so, why isn't everyone in this movie just like stopping and going, let me get my, let me throw my wedding ring in the ocean, and just, <laughs> please let's just get married right now, like it, that, that's what the movie would be, and she's just so ridiculously beautiful, you almost start laughing.
0: That was uh, Patton Oswalt's introduction to the Umbrellas of Cherbourg, created by the Criterion Collection, you can go find that on YouTube. By searching uh, Patton Oswalt and the Umbrellas of Shareboard. you had to pop up. I promise. So, Joe, yes, was this a hard film for you to accept, or did you find yourself falling into the unique experiment with ease? Where are you on this, Joe?
2: I, you know, I, I really liked this. Um, th- this is not my usual kind of movie. Uh, particularly, you know, I've I've said to more than one person in my life that. I generally find movies where people are walking around singing to be irritating. Um, And for the most part, that's true. You know, for the most part, you know, when I'm, if I'm watching a movie, I'm like, I don't necessarily want people to just break into song outside of say a Disney movie where, you know, a Disney animated movie, even most of the time. Um, But, and, and so this one of course would be kind of the, the extreme of that. Where, as you said, they're literally singing everything they say. Every mundane there no, thing. You know, there is not a there's not a single line of unsung dialogue in this in this movie.
0: And even when someone takes their car into the auto shop. Right. Do you need a tune-up? <laughs> yes I do. Yeah. You know, it's just like everything.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The whole yeah, the whole movie. Um uh, yeah, they're they're like having dinner, they're singing to each other. You know, they're going to the bathroom, they're singing to I don't think there was a bathroom scene. Uh, but but you get the point, uh, and and I thought this was I thought it was pretty fantastic. Um, I, as you said, the the colors are just insane in this movie. That if you you just look at this is just the movie where and, and this got me from the very beginning. The very the opening credits is an overhead shot of of a like a, a sidewalk or something. It's, right? and it's so raining. great. It's so good, and people are just walking by with their different colored umbrellas, and they're walking in different patterns and different, you know, and they're coming from different sides of the screen, and it's just, just enchanting. Just the from the very beginning.
0: And Michel Legrand's so, music from the opening moment is this kind yes. of grand, very old school American American musical type, like very very kind of uh, orchestral and big. It's yes. fantastic.
2: And and it and on top of all that, um, you know, for me, like strikes against it. You know, and we've been very we've been very clear on our thoughts on on watching movies with subtitles, but watching a musical with subtitles adds a different layer. And aside now, I have there's I would say I have no qualms once I you know once I started watching it. I'm like, oh, they're singing and they're singing in French and there's subtitles, I don't speak French. This could be awkward. And it somehow was not. Aside from the the version that I watched on YouTube got some of the pronouns wrong. So there was a lot of, my mom doesn't approve of us. He is very angry with me. He is yelling at me. He is telling me, I can't see you anymore. And I'm going, wait, wait. Because it, because the, that discussion starts early in the film, and I'm like, wait a minute, he like she just said mom, and now it's he. There was there was a moment where they used the the whatever the service was that, that and, it, and it may have been you know something that YouTube did. It may you know, but the um, I believe it said, oh, it was talking about, um, and I, well, I don't know if we want to spoil it. I don't know, but I'll it, so so what I'll say is. There's a child, and the the two people discussing the child say "it" when they're talking about the child. What's wrong are, with know, that,
0: Joe? No, I'm just kidding. Right, right.
2: I know. I'm just like this. Child has an actual gender, you know. I, I mean, in, in you know, that's uh, this is obviously 1964 before our our um, preferred pronouns, you know, was a thing. Um, you know, it it just it struck me as odd that, especially in the context of the scene. That they're saying, oh, do you want to see it?
0: <laughs> oh, oh, I know what God. you're talking about now. Yeah, I have to yeah. say this though, Joe. Uh-huh. I think this is a you problem for watching it on YouTube.
2: <laughs> this is a because yeah, I'll tell well, you this
0: right now. They were perfect uh-huh. on mine.
2: Good. They're, that's that's good to know. So, and this restoration
0: watch- is incredible. If you want yeah, now, I'm- I, again, I'm fortunate enough to have the Criterion Channel. I get it. Like, mm-hmm. I got the Criterion version. You know, the uh-huh. the just the cream of the crop um but still Mm -hmm. don't watch it on youtube apparently go ahead
2: yeah i mean i mean you can it it looks wonderful and and for the most part it's fine but you just have you have to know that that's a thing but if you know if you have hbo max uh, as you said if it's on there um maybe try it there maybe try the criterion channel um go buy it if you want um but it's i mean it's it's pretty terrific, you know. It's it's a it's a relatively, especially in in modern terms, it's a simple story, um, but the execution and the I mean, so right now, and it's and it's very '60s too. It's got like this very like French '60s kind of almost, I guess we'd probably call it a kitsch today, but um, but for example, I'm I'm looking at a frame now that I think it's from the trailer um, where it's it's uh, Genevieve and, and her mother. And the mother is like wearing a brown fur coat and uh, Genevieve is wearing like this little cardigan with a gray dress. And then the background is pink and green wallpaper with vertical stripes. Like, you know, there's like vertical. um,
0: I see the picture you're looking at. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then behind Genevieve is like this almost like faux leopard print. It's like blue and pink and kind of against the sky blue background. And it's, it's just, I mean, that's, very typical of this movie just explosions of color uh the the rooms are just i mean i wouldn't say the rooms look wonderful all the time i mean you know if i'm like in an apartment and i'm going these walls are off
0: i mean no one wants to live in this world i mean i think people might think they want to because it's so cool looking in the movie but i think i think there are because i have to cut in real quick there are sure. a couple of things to keep in mind. This is in 1964. We're still in the heart of the French New Wave. Now, Jacques Demy is not a major player here. His wife, or at least who would become his wife, I can't remember if they were married yet or not, but Agnes Varda was. She was a pretty big player in the French mm-hmm. New Wave, but he was kind of a minor fringe character in in this whole thing. And so, uh, But it's still a part of the cinematic culture of France. I mean, even if you're Absolutely. watching movies uh, by people who are not considered in uh, the French New Wave, you know, uh yeah. the, these people still kind of have like a vibe and and I'm also a fan of like you know 60s French pop and stuff you know <laughs> like like yeah. that kind of music so even like the way they sing and stuff you know some people I mean this isn't singing in the or this isn't um what's the one with nazis <sighs> sound of music thank you jesus yeah. and I had singing in the rain in my head couldn't get it out Anyways, but yeah, it's like, this isn't the sound of music or Mary Poppins or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. these people sing a very specific way. It's not that they sing poorly, but they're singing in a oh, different no. language. They so have different cadences, you know, and there's, yeah. like, very different ways of singing, different ways of using words and different voices, like, uh, like throat movement and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, when Absolutely. you sing, you pick up on these things. And so it's like, uh, but I love, like, French music. So it was, like, normal to me, but I could see some people yeah. thinking that's weird. Yeah. But, dude, yeah, like, this has... This is such a 60s French thing. Like, I mean, just so... I don't know if it could be more. I mean, down to every single detail of the clothing, the way their hair is, the way they talk to one another. It's like watching... Because Demi was, like, obsessed with American musicals. He loved, like, old American musicals prior to this film, and he wanted to take that to... He wanted to bring that to France. But what's interesting is in attempting to do that, he makes something completely different. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's it's almost like, it's like, it's like, um, it's like, so Sergio, or so, Kira Kurosawa is influenced by John Ford and he makes these movies like Yojimbo. Yojimbo is like a samurai western. It influences Sergio Leone to make Fistful of Dollars. He makes that movie. And then, those Leone spaghetti westerns end up influencing American cinema, which becomes a whole different thing. So it's amazing that you start with an American filmmaker and it goes through this whole loop to get somewhere new. And that's how I feel about this movie. You know, yeah. he's like super influenced by these American uh, musicals, and then he starts and he made more musicals than this, but this is kind of like the the big one people discuss. And then after this, he influences other people to make wild shit. So great. Sorry, I kind of went on like a, a, a thing, but my my point is though, no one wants to live in this world. I don't think. No, yeah, uh, the, dude. Yeah. There's pink and green striped walls. It's terrible, but in right. the movie, it looks yeah.
2: fantastic. It looks great. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. I I should say too that the singing, you know, albeit it's in French, and I don't, you know, I'm I only understand it in terms of the what is being delivered to me via subtitle, but the singing. Is lovely in this movie too just their voices are good and it it has this strange had this like strange calming effect on me that it just just enough that it kept me interested in you know in watching you know with you know it kept me from doing things like look at my phone you know obviously with subtitles it's hard to it would be really hard to look away but um I just found it really lovely and comforting just just to hear the, the voices. The, the singing was all uniformly very good, I thought. Um, yeah. not that I'm a not that I'm a, a, a singing voice critic or a music critic, but um I thought it was I thought it was really pretty and it gave a and it was done in that kind of that high way. It wasn't we don't get you know, you mentioned Le Miz, that that twenty twelve version of Le Miz. Uh was that was that twenty twelve? Was that twenty
0: twelve, dude. Isn't that crazy? Maybe
2: maybe I'm thinking of, maybe maybe there's another one, but I'm I'm thinking of the one with Russell Crowe where Russell Crowe was horrifically bad.
0: Dude, he was Uh, awful. We'll talk about that later because I have a lot to say about Les Mis, actually, but go ahead.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I've never been like a fan necessarily, and and that's mostly just my own like weird hangups and prejudices or whatever, but I tried to watch that movie and I was like, Russell Crowe is so... Awful in this movie. I'm not even going to watch the rest of it. Everybody else was was probably pretty good. i What I remember was everybody else was pretty good, but he was horrible. And I was like, no, turning it off, dude. So I didn't. So I'm I didn't so
0: disappointed it. in you right now.
2: <laughs> so I didn't finish it.
0: I don't even know if um, I can talk to you.
2: <laughs> but the singing in this is very. It, it's. I don't know what I'd call. It. It's a little more. I don't know if I I don't want to say operatic because that's not right either. It's just very like it's it's very sweetly sung to, to kind of match the the tone and tenor of the movie. So, um, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. That was a lot of really about for me to say I like the
0: scene. No, so uh, uh, speaking of the <laughs> singing though, I do want to bring up one scene that gets me every time and I'm so happy that this became like I'd seen the scene before, but seeing it in context just made it even better. And knowing the music already when I heard it cue up and yeah. go, it's like being a fan of a musical on in theater. Getting a soundtrack to this music somehow if they put it out, and then seeing a movie and you hear that first note and you're like, it's that song. That was <laughs> yeah. me with the draft card song, which is where you know uh, Genevieve is talking to Guy and saying like, hey, you know, basically my mom doesn't want us to be together, but we need to go get married, <laughs> you know. Right. And now. and he's just like, well, we have plenty of time to do that now because my my I just got called up in the draft for the Battle of Out yeah. like the the. I almost said Battle of Algiers, which is the movie, but the war, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And that song that kicks on, you know, yeah. I, I want to do it, but I know that even though it's in my mind, I'm not going to do the, 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 <laughs> the I, I played it earlier. I, I, it will be cut in earlier because I have a spot for it here. But man, it's the, you know, that whole thing. Over and over throughout the whole movie, every time there is any moment where they are reminded of one another, that hits. This dude, that is just the greatest. And there's the point where where a guy leaves to go to war on the train, and the mm-hmm. camera kind of like follows the train, and you just yeah. see like Catherine Deneuve getting further away and like walking away. Mm-hmm. So powerful to just that one scene. Like it's it was just a very powerful moment for me. I, I thought yeah. those were really really great and kind of tying into what you're saying i I'm not I don't dislike any genre entirely mm-hmm. like i there's yeah. always something that I can at Absolutely. least appreciate or enjoy like I'm not one to just be like I don't like musicals because that's not true sure. I like musicals at least a few at the very least from every era oh, yeah. like there's not Absolutely. one that I don't mm-hmm. uh but as I said in the intro this one feels very fresh to me and I can't really yeah. explain to you exactly why, other than the look of it, still no one has ever duplicated this. Like, this looks so unique. And the way that everything is sung is not like other musicals where everything is sung in them. It's almost, you know, it's like if you ever see an opera, which is usually in another language yeah. as well, those are usually sung from beginning to end. And, and the yeah. story is told either non-verbally or mm-hmm. through the songs. but this one's weird because it's like an opera in that way, except for they sing all that shit. That's usually nonverbal, you know, like (laughs) I need to use the bathroom. The bathrooms on the left down the hall, you know, like it's, it's literally everything, but now I'm sitting here kind of poking fun. I don't, I don't dislike that. There are serious scenes where really serious stuff's discussed. It's not all just like, I'm thirsty. Okay. Go get a glass of water. Like it's not, it's not, but that kind of trivial stuff is there. Um, but man, you were talking about the story. Yeah this this is this is oh how do I say this? This is not the story is not going to like break any records here or anything. Like it's not gonna it's not gonna change the game. But I'll tell you what I do like is I like the structure of the film a lot. I like yes. that it's basically an act. I forget if it's three or four acts. Oh, um, yeah, I
2: think, yeah. What is yeah. it? I think it's three. So it's it's. it's um, I'm
1: pretty um, sure it's good. Sorry.
2: Yeah, the cuz I I was writing them down. Um I said I missed I missed, I guess I missed part 1. Um but it was like part 2 is the absence and then part 3 is the return and yeah. then uh, I think that's it. I, I don't remember what part 1 is. The meeting or I I don't know. Yeah, it's not yeah. that's not the meeting they'd already met. But uh, you know, it's something it's it's done something like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All I know is it starts in 1957. Yeah. And then the the film covers the span of time all the way to I believe 63 if I'm not mistaken. Yeah.
2: Yep. mm mm-hmm. Mhm.
0: So six years here that are covered in the movie. I think it's done great. And I, I think I think some people, because as I was watching it, sometimes I would think of like what some people might say. There are moments in the film where, like, you know, uh, I don't want to ruin that, actually. But there would be, like, story beats where it's, like, someone makes a decision. And then the very next scene, there's, like, an even bigger decision that was clearly made because they're acting it out. And then yes. there's, like, an even bigger one. And it goes, like, very quickly but it just yeah. like seems to make sense to me in this context. If it were another movie, I might have like a little bit a little I, it might have I might have had a little bit of a hang up, I guess, but it fits yeah. perfectly in this. And this is this is why it's so strange because th- there's something about this movie I found just like captivating from beginning to end. So, there's nothing unique or special about the story though. Sure. But due to the way that Demi executes the whole unique production, it just it just brings the story to life. This kind of basic story about these two lovers and being torn apart by war, basically. Yeah. And then, you know, also, you know, because again, it, it's it's not some big surprise. You know, Guy goes to war, but when he returns, he's not the same. He, right. I mean, he like he can't assimilate back into society very well, right? And you have this kind of a struggle, which is a, a gr- always a great cinematic struggle. I mean, it's sad, but I'm just saying, You know. Sure. Uh but also on top of that, because there's a lot of sad stuff in this. This is like a really sad movie. Like if you just look at it in like plot beats, right? This is like fucking tragic, dude. (laughs) Like this is like the saddest movie ever. But like the music really brings levity to the whole thing, I think. And and like a very gives it like a very unique vibe. So it's interesting because like I feel like Genevieve's story throughout the film. Ends up kind of being built up of a lot of happy, quote unquote, happy things that are happening, but she's very unhappy. Yes. But Guy's story is where he's trying to be happy the whole movie, trying really hard, but everything just keeps tearing him down. So they have this like kind of opposite excuse me, like he's constantly on a decline. She's kind of constantly but for all intents and purposes on an incline, but they're like, yeah. they're reacting to these experiences so differently. And I just love that no matter how sad it is and no matter how, like the story kind of takes these characters, the music just makes it all. Um, I don't know the word. It makes it all like you can digest it easier. And it's like, it's not, it's not killing you, you know, because yes. if you Google this, this is the last thing I want to pass it off to you, but. If you Google this movie, people are going to talk about one of two things. They're going to talk about how if you watch this movie, you're going to cry through the whole thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Or they're going to bring up La La Land. I don't really know yeah. why. I mean, I, I know why, but I'm just saying yeah. I, I have thoughts on that. But yeah. the, the crying through the whole thing, I get it. But for me, I didn't have that experience. It wasn't emotional at all on that level. It didn't make me ever feel like I needed to cry. And that was in large part because the music just kind of, I feel like it kind of keeps it light. You know what I mean? Despite the heaviness that's happening, because dude, this yeah. movie is really heavy.
2: Yes, yeah, yeah. And it's you know, and it's and it's kind of difficult to talk about it without really spoiling it, um, because the the ending of the movie is so integral to you know, in in this case, to really breaking it down. I guess it's it's such a it's such an important thing is the resolution of of their relationship, right? You know, the the, the choice of, you know, whether she's going to marry the rich guy or she's going to, you know, stay with, with Guy or she's going to, or he's going to come back and it's not going to be the same or, you know, there's just some, but the, the actual resolution is, you know, there's, again, it's hard to say. I'll, I'll say it like this. It, to me, it was a very, it felt very mature at the end. It, it didn't feel like this flighty, you know romance thing that that most movies do and the the resolution of it is it's kind of heartbreaking in a way and there's there are a couple of developments right at the very end that that really like grabbed a hold of me and I was like wow that's really it really seems I would almost even say shitty and cold and terrible but then I I think about it you think about it for just a moment and you go no that really makes sense because this so the at the end, I really wasn't even sad, you know. I it's you know for for a movie that's supposed to be sad, kind of toward the end, I I kind of had a it, it was almost I would say ambivalent, but that's not the right word. That you know that there's kind of a there's a connotation to ambivalent where you're just like oh, just means you didn't care about it. But it was it was kind of like this is really the way it ended is really just fine. It's it's not it's neither overly happy nor overly sad. It's kind of just the way it should have happened. It kind of given given what the circumstances are like, this is kind of what was gonna happen. And that's fine because everybody's okay in the end, <laughs> in a sense. So, you know, whatever it is, you know, whatever this ending may be, um, everybody kind of turned out the way they were supposed to and, and it's all okay. So that, that's kind of the way I felt about it at the end. And it was, it was, Comforting, I think, in a sense, you know that it's kind of a everything's going to be okay kind of movie to me. Instead of a, you know, we're going to struggle for our our great love, or you know, we're going to do this alternative and things are going to be terrible, or things are not going to be terrible. It was kind of just like everything is kind of okay, and that's that's all good. So, um, I I kind of really like that. That's something that's a little different, you know. And and you you know you talked about you know American. American musicals, American films, I guess in general, don't really take that tack. There's kind of always this, oh, well, this is what should happen kind of thing. And not necessarily happening in this movie. (laughs) And that's that's great, I think.
0: Yeah, there's, I mean, this movie is a gimmick, right? Like the whole thing is kind of a gimmick. You don't need a, a crazy story to have these actors act and to have them mm-hmm. sing songs, right? Like that's the chore. That's the impressive part is that they do all of this yeah. through singing and incredible mm-hmm. incredible sets. Uh yes. or 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 on site where wherever they are. But man, that ending. And again, without spoiling anything.
2: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. If it weren't for literally the last few seconds. Yes. After the resolution.
2: <laughs> that's right.
0: do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. If it weren't for that, I feel like it would be a lot more melancholy. Yes. But because you get that very last few seconds before it fades to black and it's over. Yeah. It feels like uh closure. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? And and yeah, absolutely. I feel like people could listen to our language or vocabulary we're using and try to imply I th- I'm kind of being misleading with some of my language. Yeah, because when I say closure, it does not mean good or bad. You'll just have to see it because I encourage you to check this out. It's, it's a unique experience for sure. Um, and like I said, there are a few scenes that really hit hard and I, I just, man, I honestly can't think of anything in the movie that feels out of place. Again, the story is so simple and it's Mm -hmm. done so interestingly that from beginning, you know, you even the characters kind of grow well, they definitely grow, but I mean in six years. But you know, like for example, Genevieve starts at, at seventeen, yeah. and then by the end, she looks quite a bit different. She looks older. Absolutely. And but she is acting different. Like that like each step, each act, the characters have kind of grown. They kind of have their own um they I don't know, you kind of see their personalities evolve, I guess is what I'm getting at. And I just, like, really love that, too. It's just a little subtle thing. It's not a huge aspect that people would point out, maybe, or something. But I was very, very aware of it as I'm watching it. It just felt like these characters were growing. And in and, and some cases, for the from the character's perspective, they aren't really growing in a good way. Like, they're upset about the thing or, you know, what, whatever the situation is. But, man, this... Again, if I were to play by play this and give beats to this, it would sound like the most tragic movie ever made. I feel like (laughs) because, man, people die, like relationships (laughs) fall apart. People are in relationships and they're unhappy and, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, they can't fit into society. Like there's all this stuff. And I think the film, it's less interested in tackling those issues, but because especially with time, like now it's Mm -hmm. 2021, we understand a lot of these issues so we can kind of project onto those, and it just makes a lot of sense. You know what I yeah. mean? And it may like I feel like I can feel those characters, and I know what they're doing. I loved this movie.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: it was great. I, I don't, I don't yeah. even I don't even know what else to say. It's just fantastic. People
1: should check this out. Yeah, I know.
2: But, I, I kind of I was, almost felt like I was like, man, we haven't even been talking about it this long. But um, it, yeah, but that's that's kind of what this movie is—is is, is that kind of thing. Uh, you know, I do want to say this. I loved at the beginning, um, and that this is kind of a character beat, I guess, for uh, Genevieve's mom. Yeah. When when you know she, uh, you know Genevieve reveals finally at one point. So she has lied to her mom to go be with with Guy. And, yeah. You know, and they're together and they're, you know, and she even says, that. well, I lied and said that I was going with my friend. And she looked at me funny because she knows that she hates the theater. And I told her I was going to the theater with her and but she just kind of bought it. And then later on, she um, she confesses to her and she and of course, her mom gets angry and is like, you, you know, you lied to me and you're not even you're not even you're confessing it so freely, like you're not even ashamed. And she's kind of like, I'm not. But then then she forbids her. She's like, You're you're too young. You can't get married. I and I forbid you from seeing him again. Yeah. And then, you know, then Roland comes, Roland uh is the, the rich man, Roland Cassard. Yeah. Um, played by Marc Michel. Yeah. And he comes in and he's a he's a so they they have as you said financial problems with the shop and they have to pay what is it like eighty thousand francs or something? Yeah. yeah. And and she's going to sell her jewelry. She's going to sell her pearl necklace. And um, she doesn't want to, but the the man she takes it to says, oh, I can't give you, I can only give you you know, X amount. And it's far below its actual value because that's just what I have to do. And, and uh, Roland just kind of happens to be there. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to buy this from you at full price. And it's not philanthropy is the word it used in the, the subtitles. He says it's not philanthropy. It's because I'm genuinely interested in this. And I just want it. And so they, you know, she's charmed by his, you know, charmed by him, of course, stepping in to help out. And he's the knight in shining armor. Uh, and then they end up like having dinner. And, and suddenly now, Genevieve, you've got to marry this guy. He's rich and he'll take care of you. And he's handsome and young. And, and, yeah. <laughs> and this is this minutes after she's like, had this long discussion with her about how she's not ready to be married and have children. And she's too young. and And she has all this other stuff to do and now it's like no 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 marry this guy because he's
0: rich yeah it was this this guy this uh uh what's his name uh Cassard, that's right uh roland Cassard, this guy this this uh diamond dealer whatever he is or yeah. whatever his role is mm-hmm. uh this takes place over a few months though i will i will yes. give him that cuz he leaves a lot well, sure. and then he comes back in but they have only met like twice or something. Yes. <laughs> like, at least it, that's it what is, we
2: it's see. Right. Is, and and then screen time, it's literally, yeah, it's minutes. Yeah. But there there is a thing where he's, he leaves for three months and he's like, you know. But she clearly is enamored with him and she kind of clearly has this in mind from the very beginning. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, and, you know, she's she's 17 and it's within a month, a couple of months still, <laughs> suddenly yeah. now she's ready to be married when she wasn't. A couple, of, it's like, yeah, that's still, you know, well, uh, it seems like that's kind of strange. Yeah, but, it's, it's you know, very it clear also thing,
0: you know, that it's like yeah. the person, too, right? Like the yes. mom just doesn't like mm-hmm. Guy, yeah, you know yeah I mean? she doesn't even know him, right? Yeah,
2: like, she's never even met him, yeah, yeah, but
0: but he's just like some auto guy, some, yeah, some mechanic. Yeah and, yeah, and and see, this other I mean, guy is all
2: she knows about him is he's not rich. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. And you know what I thought was going to happen because whenever he's off to war, they're, they write each other. You know, and I, that's all I kind of want to say about it. I I thought the mom was hiding the letters.
2: Oh yeah. Uh-huh.
0: That was where my mind, because I was like, sure. That, I that's, I th- that's a,
2: and that's a common trope, right? It is.
0: Yeah, but they they, they juked me, right? Like yeah. <laughs> like they, they spun on me because she wasn't. And that's not really a yeah. spoiler. I don't I don't even know if that was like your I d I don't I doubt no, that's oh what no. you were thinking. But in my no. mind, as I'm watching, I'm like, yeah, she's doing this because she wants she has an agenda. But that's right. not even where I went. I was uh yeah. I found myself for, for it being such a simple story, I did find myself still falling victim to these tropes. And it's like this movie's not interested in trying to fake you out. Like it's just telling right. you this story. And it's already tragic enough. You don't have to add any bells or whistles to it. It's just it what it is what it is. And this is <clears throat> I almost choked to death one second.
2: <laughs> well I, I was gonna say too there that that one tying in with that the kind of a couple of things that are, are kind of typical kind of American movie tropes are one would be making the mom a villain and having her hide the letters. And then the other one would be making Roland a, a villain as, you know, like the rich guy trying to take him, you know, trying to separate these lovers and he's really a decent guy. Yeah. Like, you know, he's, he's just not, he's just not the guy that she was in love with, you know, down to even the, you know, when, well, I, I don't know if I can even say that, that that'd that be spoiling. There there's, I'll say this, he makes a, he makes an overture toward her. And there's a pretty significant, I don't know, is that, would it be, a, is it a spoiler? Um, yeah, I guess so. Um I will say this. There he makes the overture tor- toward her and there's a significant thing that is potentially in the way. Did we talk about what that thing is? And he's like, this is no problem. I'll I'll take care of this too.
0: And if you're talking about the baby, that happens at the beginning. Yes. I already brought that up. Yes. 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 yes.
2: Okay. So she gets pregnant. Yeah, and I was going to say now that I think about it, you said that. He gets pre- she gets pregnant and he comes in and is like, "Hey, I'll raise this child as mine." You know? And and, and he proceeds to, you know, he's not, you know, there's, there's no, like, he's a traveler, you know, he travels all over Europe. And, you know, there's no, like, we don't find out about a girlfriend, or like, he's some weird, like, child abuser, you know, like, all these are things that, in a different movie, might come up, you know, come out and be like, oh, well, this guy's such an ass, right? And she clearly shouldn't be with this guy. Yeah, like, it, it's, it's more of a, a traditional choice, like, there's two decent guys, and she just kind of has to see which one is the one for her.
0: And in real life, mm-hmm. a lot of times when people either go away to prison or go away to war, or go like if they're gone for a long time, yeah. a lot of times things end. Yeah. And uh-huh. I feel like because the movie, and that's kind of what I was hinting at earlier, that portion of the movie, that war portion moves very quickly. And and yeah. I don't say that as, a, like I said, I think it works in this movie. I don't think we need to see all the minutiae here. Um, because it's trying to, it's, it's the... It's the the road that gets us to where we need to be. That's pretty much the whole point. It's trying to set up the next act, mm-hmm. and I was fine with it. But yeah, Cassard. This Roland Cassard is like th- the greatest guy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like like there's yeah, nothing yeah. there's nothing villainous about him. Like not only yeah. does he, out of the kindness of his own heart, just help this family before he even knows who they are, but then he's willing to take care of this child that's not his, as if it is. <laughs> and he keeps coming back only after meeting them. T- like twice or something. Every time he comes to town, he just keeps he's writing them letters. Like mm-hmm. like the dude is is just love-struck. He has to yeah. be um yeah. infatuated with this family and particularly Genevieve. And but there's nothing wrong with them. He doesn't come off like a creep. He doesn't come off like anything other than just a guy that's like you know wants to be cool. And the thing yeah. is, what makes that even tougher is Guy isn't a bad guy either. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's. I mean, it's. Mm-hmm. It's like a blue collar versus white collar situation. But it's like, like it. It seems like her love with Guy was like very, very passionate, and her yes. love for Roland is is present but different, right? Like yeah. it, it's a it's a different thing, and I think yeah. that's such an interesting dynamic yeah. to kind of wrestle with because like you said watch any fucking disney movie yeah. you know and sure. the the guy that they go with's a bad guy because they're supposed to end up with the beast you right. know most of the time they're gastons all right that's really what's happening right. yes anyways so yeah that that's a great point you brought that that wasn't in my notes but that that's a i was thinking of that while watching it and just thinking man i and and like when guy comes back I just can't imagine what that's like. It reminded me of yeah. Castaway. Not the movie's nothing like Castaway. But you right, know the Tom end of Castaway where where uh, yeah. uh
1: Tom Hanks.
0: Character. I yeah, couldn't think of his too. name for some reason. Tom Ford was <laughs> in my head, which is incorrect. So Tom yeah. Hanks comes back after like so many years on this island or yeah. whatever. And just thinking like I had the same kind of thought process with that, where it's like, what do you do in that situation yeah. when you come back? Because this person thinks you're dead. I mean, right. uh, not, not to imply that Genevieve thought that guy was dead. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about castaway, right. though. Like, what would you sure. do if yeah. you're if you were a spouse, your spouse leaves, they say this person's dead, and you move yeah. on with your life only to find out this person's not? How yes. do you, like, you don't, yeah. do you just divorce the person that you were just, right. you just married, that you're married to now? Because this person, yeah. like, how do you juggle this thing? That is so right. complex. And, like, I'm watching this movie, and on a, to a lesser extent, because, of course, the castaway thing, I mean, that's a huge hit. But sure, this one, it's like, man, guy has this sick, what is it, his aunt? I think? Yes. Has a sick uh-huh. aunt. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: And has this, you know, young lady looking after her. Mm-hmm. And he can't find Genevieve anywhere. Finds out that she's yes. left. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I just can't imagine what it would be like to not only not feel like you fit into the world anymore because of this war that you've experienced, but coming yeah. back and everything you knew is gone.
2: Right. Yeah. Literally yeah. the well, landscape
0: and- of the place is changing. Like the umbrella store has that, that storefront, that specific storefront at least has been yeah. changed. Right. So it looks yeah. different even. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. What yeah. were we going to say?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that those you know, that that's a good parallel because there's, there's a lot of, You know, you at least you you know in this movie you're imagining it more than you see it because you don't see Guy you know out you know being a soldier you don't see him out in the battlefield or you know out being you know you know doing his service because he you know he disappears and then you know it transitions to the next part. This is this is Genevieve's story you know more than his so that's you know you we stay with her during the time that he's gone, but you know in Castaway, kind of taking that you know what what you said a step further. You know Helen Hunt's character, and I don't remember her name now off the top of my head, but she's the thing that keeps him going, right? He has the pocket watch with her picture in it, and you know that's what kind of the the thought of getting back to her is what keeps him alive in a sense. And you can imagine that being the same thing with Guy during this movie that you know he's he's sitting there, you know, in a foxhole somewhere or you know in a in a tent somewhere. And he's just thinking, you know, I'm going to get back to to my beloved one day, and then we're going to be married. And this is what. And then he gets there, and you know the the reality is completely different. The the reality is he's been gone for for you know X two number of years, years yeah. two or three years, or you know whatever it was. And and um, you know now you know people in that time have to kind of move on and do and go off and do the things they do. And and there's and especially in those days, it's you know for you know from Genevieve's standpoint he could have been he could have died at any moment he could die any day he could have been dead for weeks before she would even find out you know and that's a very real possibility so that's that's a a significant kind of stressor to a relationship yeah so yeah. that and that's and that's certainly you know that kind of flies in the face of the the standards I think of that time are that you know well the woman is going to wait for him for the man while he gallantly goes off to war and i think the reality is that for most people that's not what would really happen and that's not you know and and again that's not a you you can't you can't hammer that and be like oh my god she's she's so terrible she wouldn't you know went off to some other guy while her while her boyfriend while her beloved is off fighting for his country it's like i mean the reality is he's
0: gone and, and the reality th- is she's fucking 17
2: yes and she's very young and then yeah and there's You know, she has a life to live, you know, even while, you know, he does. And I I think that's, I think there's, that's a little bit of a more, a more mature kind of outlook on the world than, than just the strictly romantic notion of, you know, well, they're going to wait forever for each other. It's like, no, no, no.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a very romantic notion. And I want to say this before we jump into just musicals at large, which we can call back to this at any time, but like, you know, having been in long-distance relationships before, I mean, like, all the way across the country, yeah. communication is key. If you're not communicating and talking regularly Absolutely. and having a schedule together to keep in contact, it's not going to mm-hmm. work. No, no. They are not great at communicating here, okay? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is actually a big plot point in the movie that you can mm-hmm. see how it unfolds, but Genevieve and Guy are not great at communicating. Quite frankly, yeah. though it does seem tragic because you see them so in love at the beginning and then whenever they're separated, you know, they're just tormented by this thing. Mm
2: -hmm. By
0: being separated. But then you see things, like, I don't blame her yeah, for, like, wondering what Guy's doing. You know? Because, but then at the same time, Guy is fighting a war. You know? Yeah, Yeah, like, he could write a letter, but man, like, what is the situation there? We don't know. That's kind of the whole point. Like, we don't know what where he is or what he's going through. It's just a tricky situation. And, and it's these complexities. You know, I could see someone saying like, well, why, why don't you think like this when you watch MCU movies? Why don't you fill in some of the blanks? You know what I mean? Why do you criticize it so much? Yeah, that's a little different. Because it's not my fucking job in those movies. Right. All right, yeah. It's lazy writing, in my opinion. But this, <laughs> this these things we're talking about are not specific or in, uh, specifically... Uh, or intrinsically tied to the main plot. But these are yeah. additional things you can think of to fill in context. And even yeah. if I didn't think of these things, they don't have to be here for the movie to make sense. And yeah. so, uh, but I do I do love the little complexities that your brain can kind of go to and be like, man, what is it like yeah. for guy? Because, as you said, the the first act is the two of them. Mm-hmm. The second act is one hundred percent Genevieve. And the third act is largely Guy. I mean, he they, yeah. the movie then switches to Guy, and it's yeah. the whole movie is pretty much at that point from his perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Man, what a tragic movie. I want to I want to move on a little bit. Again, we can keep talking about this movie, uh, but I, I want to move on just a, a little bit to to lead ourselves uh, to the end here. And we're not in a rush yet; we have time. But. We, you and I have never really talked about musicals, and even leading up to this, I asked you, you know, if you were interested in doing this. You're like, yeah, I want, I want to do this. Yeah. But we haven't talked about musicals at large, and I'd like to take just a moment to have a general conversation, tying yeah. into this. What's your history with musicals, and 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 where do they generally yeah. sit with you? With the with the the unspoken. Thing being, I understand that you will never say, like, I don't like musicals. I know what that means because that's a stupid generalization. Of course, there are musicals yeah. like The Umbrellas of Cherbourg that you've enjoyed. But just generally, though, you know, no judgment. Yeah. Where do you sit with musicals?
2: Yeah, they, they you know, if, if if I'm breaking things down by genre, you know, they're probably lower, the like the lower third or so, you know, depending on how many genres you have. For for me personally, I don't I don't seek them out most of the time. Um, anytime there's a new musical coming out, I'm not rushing to see. I didn't go see Cats, you know, for example, when it came out. There, you know, there's a like I didn't. I've never seen Chicago or Moulin Rouge. There's a couple couple of those mu- musicals I've just never seen. So it's not something I rush out to see. But
0: is your girlfriend it, mad at you yet?
2: Oh, <laughs> she, she's very much into musicals, and and I actually wanted to watch this with her, and. You know, I was just going to say without getting into, I was just thinking about this a minute ago while you were talking about how much of this I wanted to to divulge. I won't, I don't want to say too much about it, but I'll say that there are direct, and you know, some of my, some of the the story because we've talked about it, but there are some pretty direct parallels between this movie and kind of the relationship we've had to this point Um, that, you know, and even as we were talking, just even more of it came out. I was like, wow, this is really like our thing. But there's a couple of important differences, anyway. Um, but she's a fan of musicals. She actually has been pushing for me to watch a few. I, I actually she got me to watch Sweeney Todd um, uh, last week.
0: That's so great, which
2: I which I hadn't seen. Yeah, and I really loved it. Um, but but what you know, anyway. What I was going to say was, while I don't necessarily go seek them out, when I watch them, I generally like them. There are very few that I watch and go, oh, that was just crap. I hated that. Um, you know, and I've, I've seen stuff like La La Land, I've seen Dream Girls, and I've seen, you know, a handful of, you know, some of the more higher profile ones that have been out in recent years, um, excepting some of those ones that I've mentioned, um, and, you know, like Lay Mis, I started on, and I was just like, eh, that was more, I was just wasn't in the mood. Um, I've, you know, I've, as I said, in a very general sense, I, I'm kind of like, and it's kind of irritating when they're when somebody's just singing the whole time and there's not actual dialogue. Like I get the you know it's like I get this and I watch it and enjoy it sometimes, but also it's you know sometimes can be off-putting to me. But like I said, whenever I've watched one, I've generally liked it. Um, I, I don't watch a lot of old ones just as a matter of you know habit, I guess. Um, you know the the old you know older time kind of you know Gene Kelly type stuff, whatever. Uh, Fred Astaire kind of things dancing slash musicals um, but like I said when I watch them I generally enjoy them um, and I I should probably seek them out more often I'm probably going to watch stuff like Chicago and Moulin Rouge um, sometime in the very near future of course I love most of the Disney musicals you know the animated stuff that's fine um, that's you know that's terrific but um, yeah that, that's kind of generally my relationship with them is that I'm like Okay, but then I watch them like, oh, that
0: was really good. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I I'll I'll say this before I give you my perspective on this.
2: Yeah,
0: all you're doing is making me want to set us up for some sort of musical marathon, (laughs) because I want to show you some like random ones. And the first thing I want to say though, and and prior to me thinking about these genres, and what set all this off is I have a friend named Jason, and we live together, and we've known we play music together for years. I mean, we've known each other since 2003 he one time said, I don't like Westerns. And then I made it my job to find (laughs) a bunch of unique Westerns that kind of fit into his wheelhouse and show them to him. And I found several that he did like, and he could no longer say that because he knew I'd punch him in the kneecap or something. Right. So I hate when people do blanket statements. I don't like this. That's like a pet peeve of
2: mine. Right.
0: But... What that did, though, is when he said that to me, it made me reevaluate genres, even though I had these strong feelings about that. But musicals was one of them I had to reevaluate. And one of the things that I thought of is whenever you watch martial arts movies, you're not watching a a traditional, say, a 70s martial arts movie. The story Mm -hmm. is generally not great. Okay, like it might have a kick ass like plot. It might be sure. really cool cuz there might be like wizards and people throwing hats with blades and cutting people's heads off or something. I don't know. Like cool shit. But yeah. the it, it's all about the choreography and the martial arts. That's the point, okay? Yeah. Um and it's not it, it's not try watch a Jackie Chan movie. His comedy is usually terrible, so bad that I laugh at it. And yeah, yeah. um, but it's all about his choreography, it's about his stunts, and it's about the martial arts. That's what the movies are for. And then they give you kind of a shoestring story to like get you through. Not all of them. Jackie sure. Chan's fantastic, but even something yeah. like Legend of Drunken Master. That's all about the fight scenes. Yeah. Uh uh Oh, what is the what's the other one called? Night Um I'll think of it and tell you. It's a really funny oh, yeah. movie. Anyways, yeah. uh n- not Night Stalker. I'll figure it out. Uh, City City Hunter. Okay, I'm gonna look that up. It's it was on Amazon Prime for free, uh, and I think it's called City Hunter. Uh, but man, that that is a slapstick, ridiculous movie. There's even a point where Jackie Chan turns into a Street Fighter character, and the villain turns into a Street Fighter character, and they fight each other like Street Fighter. It's awesome. <laughs> Anyways, really ridiculous. My point is though, like that's the, it's about the gags, it's about the fighting. So when you watch these movies. You don't say. Well, the story wasn't like developed very well. Like that's silly. That's not the sure. fucking point of these movies. And and <laughs> yeah. I mean I mean that can be a setback to the genre if somebody wanted mm-hmm. to. Like you know there are some martial arts movies that have great stories. I'm not saying that mm-hmm. they don't. But that's not their focus. It's like saying Glengarry Glenn Ross didn't have enough action. It's like yeah. what? Like that's not the point of the movie. Like right. It's dialogue. That's the thing. It's dialogue and performance. So sometimes yeah. you have to take that into consideration. And musicals are like that as well. Musicals, it is about the complexity of the dance choreography. It is about the complexity of that music and how they're telling the story through these musical scenes. And yes. um, like *The Sound of Music*, I had never seen until a couple of years ago, actually. And boy, it's it like it really conveys what I'm talking about now, where it's telling really great stories. Even in, like, repeating a song and the music being kind of like a downer sounding now. And they're trying to sing this happy song, but it's, like, in a whole different context. And it's just, like, a bummer now, right? Like, these things can tell stories. So once I learned that, I became a pretty big fan of musicals. And I'm not a huge... I wasn't a big fan of old musicals until I started watching more of them. And now, pretty much, if you put me in front of, like, uh, Fred Astaire or Gene Kelly or any of those guys... Uh, or in any, any of those like duos back then, doing those movies, I I generally love them because it's those big theatrical set pieces, you know. Even like West Side Story, which is basically all clearly on a set, you know, like on a stage, and it's great. But then you get into the seventies, and I mentioned Bob Fosse. I, have you ever seen Cabaret? No. Let me tell you why Cabaret's great. Cabaret is a regular seventies movie. 100% normal, like straightforward 70s film. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm spacing her name now. L- look the movie up real quick. It's Cabaret. Because I uh, Liza Minnelli. I got it. Forget it. Okay. All right. <laughs> but Liza Minnelli's <laughs> in it. And she works at a cabaret with Joel Grey as well. He's great. And Liza Minnelli, all the musical sequences take place in this French cabaret. So it makes sense. It's not out of place. People aren't doing the thing that sometimes annoys you, which is walking around and then just spontaneously break out into song. They all are stuck on a stage and they work in reality. Now, that's really what started getting me into musicals because I realized there are different kinds. So cabaret's that way. All that jazz, for the most part, is that way. There are a few kind of like dreamlike sequences, surreal moments. Um, But still, whenever it's in reality, it's pretty much just a. Just that, you know, um, and, yeah. and and all that jazz is autobiographical about Bob Fosse. So he's like a theater director and he's, you know, you see these plays play out and stuff. And that shit's great, man. You should we should watch some of those things. I, I would love to do that. Yeah. And then you get into stuff like Dancer in the Dark. And, dude, have you seen that? I've not seen Dancer in dude, the Dark. Dude, that movie's wild. Same thing. The whole movie is Bjork's in it. After she did this, she's like, I'll never work in the movies again, because it was like a traumatic <laughs> experience for her. Lars von Trier makes this. Bummerville, USA.
2: Lars von Trier, you know, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's it's one of my favorite movies of all time. This is on my Pantheon list of us to talk about, so at some point we will watch this. Now, here's <laughs> the thing. <clears throat> here's the thing with Dancing in the Dark. Everyone's real voices are used. Some people fucking suck at singing, okay? Uh-huh. But... Like, it's kind of the point, right? Like, it's these people's sure. real voice. Catherine Deneuve is much older, but yeah. from Umbrellas of Shareboard, she's actually in this as well. She plays Bjork's friend.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All Bjork's going blind. That's the whole point of the movie. And her son, it's a hereditary thing, and if he doesn't get this operation, he will also yeah. go blind. So she's doing everything she can, working extra hours, doing multiple jobs to try to save money to yeah. uh, give her kid, keep his sight, help him keep his sight. But because she's going blind, she often like will start to daydream because she's tired. She's working a lot. She starts to daydream, and these daydreams are where these musical sequences happen. And they okay. even look different. Like they don't even look like the rest of the movie. Super gritty, Lars von Trier. It's in from 2000, but it's like that 90s Lars von Trier very gritty film look. But it yeah. looks like digital camcorder or something. Whatever. Like it's a very different <laughs> look. It's still low, but like low quality. But it's like different. Whenever they have sure. these musical sequences. And there are people dancing. Because the whole point is Bjork's character loves musicals. And she she loves them. She grew up. So her her inner monologue is in musical form. It makes sense. That movie is... Talk about a tragic movie. That movie... Dude, it, it never loses its effect on me. We're watching that sometime. Yeah, yeah. The thing about Les Mis... And I'm kind of running the gamut here. Which is why I'm bringing these up. And I would love to rewatch Chicago. I'd love to... Re- I did not like... Moulin Rouge when I saw it years ago probably 2005 mm-hmm. uh, it's one I definitely need to revisit I don't like Baz Luhrmann so that uh, and, and I'm not one to say I won't watch it because it's him like he could have a good sure. movie it's just everything I've seen I don't like All right, yeah. so uh, I, I'm, I have a thing about period pieces with like modern music and looking really flashy and modern now okay. Sofia Coppola with like Mary Antoinette like that works a bit better for me mm-hmm. but man the way Baz Luhrmann does it, with like the Great Gatsby, was not for me. So, anyways, <laughs> so you have you have uh, Les Mis. Now, let me tell you about Les Miz. Russell Crowe sucks in this movie. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: But Hugh Jackman and what's uh, who's the other one? Um, Edith Ed Hathaway. Yes, thank you. Yeah. They are phenomenal. Yes. And 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 so was uh, Eddie Redmayne and uh, Amanda Seafried, I think it is. Okay. They're all of them are great. I can't stress enough how great the scenes are with them. Russell Crowe sucks ass. So the thing is, the story's great, of course. Les Mis has a good, uh, impactful story. I am blown away by the way that they did this because they had a guy on a keyboard, they had earpieces in, and they just sang the songs, and then they added music around the takes that they used. I wish every musical was this way. These musical sequences that do not incorporate Russell (laughs) Crowe, and I'm not an (laughs) anti-Russell Crowe guy. I just think he sucks in this movie. But all the... Dude, those are probably, or possibly, I should say, the most powerful musical sequences I've ever seen. Anne Hathaway has one really, really powerful one, and so does Hugh Jackman. Because you get that... theat That's part of why theater is so great, is because you get that raw emotion in the moment. And in that movie, you feel that because they are in that moment and they're capturing it. It's not pre-done music with edited Mm -hmm. takes. This is like the takes that they use to do this whole thing. I wish every musical was done this way. It's absolutely phenomenal. The movie's not great because of uh, Russell Crowe and some story execution. So I'm with you. I wish you'd finished it. But it's not great, and you don't probably ever need to go back to it. But I want to say what Tom Hooper did with how he recorded the music and stuff is phenomenal. I wish every movie would do that. My point in saying all this, I grew up, my dad had uh, two half sisters. They were my age, actually. Uh, his mom had children much, much, much later. And so yeah. they were my, literally one was two years older than me. And one was a month older than me born a month apart. So my dad's mom was pregnant when my mom was pregnant. They would grow up watching movies like these, right? Like, like singing in the rain and stuff. And they were so annoying to me as a kid. I hated yeah. them. They looked boring. They sounded boring. I hated the music. Yeah. Fucking turn it off. I hate this. <laughs> I so I always kind of had like a problem with old musicals. That was kind of a, a, a thing I had to overcome. Even after, like I said, when I talked to my friend about the, him not liking westerns and me making him rethink that. I still yes. had trouble with these old ones, man. But I got to say, again, once I really start thinking about it like martial arts movies or anything else, I hope that when you go back, Joe, and you watch these movies, uh, some of them, some I mean, dude, some of the stuff, if you can actually watch what they're doing, if you can appreciate the artistic quality of the choreography and the dance and, and the music and how things blend together and how these people you know, uh, are able to work together to kind of tell a story in these moments. Yeah. Dude, I mean, who's better than like... I can't remember her name right now. I'm kind of embarrassed. I'm going to look it up. But anyways, um, who's better than Dick Van Dyke and uh, I cannot believe, Julie Andrews. Golly, I can't believe I forgot her name. And Mary Poppins. If you watch that, some of the stuff Dick Van Dyke does, he is magic. I don't understand. But same thing with Gene Kelly. Or 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 Fred Astaire, any of these classic guys, you gotta watch this stuff. We gotta watch this stuff together. You've you've sealed your fate, now, Joe. (laughs) This is gonna happen. Bring
1: it on!
2: I'm 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 gonna take it. I'm gonna own it, and I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna come in and and be like, this is you know, I've been missing out all this time.
0: It's great. Yeah, my wife loves it. Now, uh, the the good news is though, I have a lot of blind spots in musicals. This is not something I've sought out a lot. I did I did some Bob Fosse. Uh, sound like I said Fozzie, but my voice was weird. Bob Fosse, Um, I've watched, you know, some of the more recent, more like unique uh, stuff, but I, I definitely have some uh, blind spots. For example, I've never seen Grease from beginning to end. Now my dad's okay. going to listen to this, and he's going to be very disappointed in me. And Father, I tell yeah. you, I will see this. But uh, I've never seen Grease from beginning to end. I know all the songs, of course. They're too, they're sure, too absolutely. famous. But I've never seen it from beginning to end. I've never seen West Side Story from beginning to end. These are all yeah. kind of like blind spots for me that I need to okay. fill in. We yeah. got to do this. I don't know when. I'll look at the schedule. We'll figure it out. Maybe to be next year. I don't know. But we got to do this. And it'll give you an excuse to watch these movies uh, uh, with with your girlfriend. This would be great. All right. Anyways, uh, uh, musicals are great is what I'm getting at. I actually really love them. Though, in terms of genre, they actually are... If it was just listing genres, it would also be low for me. Uh, but yeah. I, I still really love... Uh, Love musicals, especially when they're they're done particularly well, um, yeah. and they can impress me in some way. and And The Umbrellas of Cherbourg definitely impressed me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. like I said, Michelle Legrand's music is kind of incredible. Catherine Deneuve and uh, Nino Castelnuovo it's a difficult name for me to say but Castelnuovo are, are fantastic as yes. uh, Genevieve and Guy or Guy, as they say. Um, man, I just, I love this movie and, and I'm looking forward to watching more musicals with you. I think this will be, I think this will be like a test, you know? Yes. And, yeah. and I, I talked with Matthew Sosie yesterday, uh, go check out film sociology and, uh, and he loves the umbrellas of Cerborg. He was telling me yeah. all about it yesterday. He's like, man, when you talk about that, I can't wait for you to see this because I watched this last <laughs> night, like late at night. Yeah. Um, but anyways,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I don't know what else to say, Joe. Do you have yeah. anything else yeah, to say? I-
2: yeah, I'm. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think it's. I think it's a good movie. Um, I think it's a, a tremendous movie, and I think that. Yeah, this this will be one of the you know one of the things for me, as you've said you know with your blind spots. This is one of the things that I have as well, and and some of those I've done, intentionally you know or you know allowed to not happen. Um, I have I have seen stuff like Grease. Um, um, you know, there's one. <laughs> <laughs> I hesitate to God, bring it I up. already
0: don't even want to hear what you have to say, but the look that just I, came on your face.
2: I know. I hesitate to bring it up. Are you going to um, brag again? No, no. Well, I don't know. <laughs> no, that's not what it is. So, okay. So, The Greatest Showman. Okay. I've never um, seen this I took, movie. I, I took my kids to see it and we all loved it. Um, now, I have to say I have major problems with them portraying PT Barnum as a great humanitarian and a great like a civil rights champion, which is what they did, which by all accounts is virtually the opposite of who he really was as a person. But if you want to look at it as if you can if you can hold your nose and look at it as a myth, maybe them trying to correct maybe they should have just changed the guy's name and been yeah. like, you know, this is this is BG Farnham and he's not that guy. (laughs) He was actually a good person who actually was looking to, you know, because of course in the great, I mean, the music in the greatest showman is fantastic and they, you know, they make him, you know, he becomes the, the circus, you know, the circus magnate, you know, whatever you want to call him. And he's, but he has this in the movie, he has this fondness for his uh, performers that you know both the animals and the humans you know the the bearded lady and the you know the people who are considered freaks you know by the you know he he brings them in and gives them a place and and they love him and all this you know when i guess the the actual story is that he was very abusive and was not you know he was not you know the nice guy they make him out to be in this film so you know i have to go i have to you know give that as a caveat but if they, you know, if, if you just go, okay, well, we know this, let's just watch it as a musical. I love the music. There's, a, you know, there's two or three songs that I just legitimately really like. Um, and and Pink actually sings a version of um, A Million Dreams from that movie that is fantastic. Um, and I love that song, even, you know, like I said, given the problems of the movie. Um, but that that's one that I thought was really terrific that I watched that, you know, again, with the, the rather huge caveat of it is completely historically inaccurate in almost every way. <laughs> but, but you know, you know such is the nature of, of movies from time to time.
0: I feel so, um, so disappointed in you that this is the one movie you bring up, Joe. <laughs>
2: I know. That's the one, well, <laughs> it's the one that I brought up that I saw. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a musical that I really enjoy.
0: No, that's fair. Um, that's fair.
2: Uh, but I, you know, if, uh, I would maybe just choose to watch it as a collection of scenes rather than, you know, a, a narrative story just because of all that stuff. Um but but yeah, but this is this is for me also a, a blind spot that um that I you know I kind of look forward to uh filling in. So um one that I maybe didn't expect to want to fill in, but You know, especially after watching this and seeing, you know, all the great stuff in this film, I'm a lot more excited about it. So um, let's bring it on. It also helps (laughs) to have
0: partners who like them because my wife loves musicals. Yes, absolutely. I feel like this has to happen anyways. All right. Uh, Hey, as as we've already said, um, you know, with caution, you can watch this on YouTube. I believe uh, I I believe the other place is uh, HBO Max. I'm going to look that up really quick okay okay I did it I already I misspelled it already so it's fine and that still didn't do the job let's let's see yeah HBO Max if you have a uh, HBO max subscription it's on there you can also uh rent it on uh YouTube which you it, I just looked it up it's just on there for free too but I'm you sure there's see. like a legit copy or something you could rent Apple TV uh, Amazon Prime all those places you can rent it from Uh, And if you have the Criterion channel, if you're lucky like me, you can watch it for free and you can watch the Criterion version, which is absolutely gorgeous and has perfect subtitles. It is fantastic. And, hey, if you do get a chance to see it or if you've already seen it and you want to uh, and you agree or disagree with us, hey, hit us up uh, at Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. And, uh, hey, we'll respond, I'm sure, unless you're just like really mean. I'll probably just ignore you. Um, But, I mean, like, you know, at least give us your thoughts. We don't care. Do whatever you want. Yeah. It'd be fun. Yeah, don't be a troll. But otherwise, we'll talk to you. Joe, (laughs) last week I chastised you. I
2: know. Because you didn't have a quip. I got nothing. I got nothing for this one. What do I have for this? I got nothing.
0: Well, you're lucky because I have something else to say. Good. Next week, because I haven't haven't foreshadowed this, Joe does not know what we're doing next week. That's why I'm telling him right now. This is your punishment. All right. Next week, it was listener's choice. The poll uh, basically ended today. I don't think it's going to change at this point. Uh, next week is the 2014 film Calvary. It's okay. the new. It's the newest of the three, mm-hmm. and because uh, there were three choices, Thirteen Assassins from 2011, which is the one I was kind of secretly hoping for, yeah. but all of them were so good. I just thought it'd be better to have a listener's choice. 13 Assassins from 2011, Calvary from 2014, or Thief from 1981, the Michael Mann movie, which is also phenomenal. That was the one I feel like Calvary was the one I wanted least, but I love them all so much it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The point is, Calvary is phenomenal. It was my favorite film of 2014. I shouldn't be outing this, I guess, but I guess it is a part of my favorites pantheon, so it is expected that I would like this. Uh, But we'll see what Joe thinks. Uh, So next week we're going to be talking about Calvary. So Joe pencil it in and when you pencil it into your schedule put in parentheses i need a quip for the end of the episode
2: (laughs) give me a quip
0: all Um, right well thanks joe all right all right everybody that's our episode today I just want to say something real quick. <clears throat> if you were listening to the... I just cleared my throat really loud, sorry. If you if you were listening to the beginning and you were like, what's that weird sound, that weird buzzing in the very background of Austin talking at the very top of the episode? I'm in an attic when I record these, okay? This is like a finished attic room. And I have... Our central air is not like... It's... I mean, my dad and I eventually put the central air kind of up here but it it only helps a little bit you still have to have an air conditioning unit uh, like a window unit and you have to have we have like a baseboard heat thing up here okay and I left my air conditioner on but quite frankly I was too lazy to re-record the first part of it all right so just deal with it all right I'm just waiting for someone to be like what's that weird buzzing just deal with it all right I turn it off eventually and then it was pretty so stop anyways Uh, I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening to, you know, uh, numbers two and three of the early Bergman marathon I'm doing. Uh, That was Port of Call and Thirst. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. We also talked, Joe and I talked about uh, the Umbrellas of Cherbourg. I hope you uh, thought that was interesting. And honestly, I hope you go check it out. Next week, we're going to be talking about John Michael McDonough's uh, The Brother of Martin McDonough, who did In Bruges and uh, Seven Psychopaths. John Michael McDonough did The Guard, and then he made this brilliant film in 2014 called Calvary, starring Brendan Gleeson, playing a really cool uh, priest. Uh, Please go check that movie out before next week. It's going to be great. It's part of my favorites, Pantheon. I hope you get a chance to check it out. I'm really excited to talk about it with Joe. Uh, And hey, maybe we'll have someone else on too. Who knows? We have some plans for more people to come on as well. So it'd be a fun time. But until then, hey, we love you so much. Thank you so, so much for listening. Good night. Good luck. Take it easy.